Good evening, wonderful people. This is December 2021's Dante's Old South, and I'm your host, Clifford Brooks. Before we kick this off, I want to note that this entire episode was recorded while I stayed with the Meadowbrook Inn. Located in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, every route you take there looks like heaven. When you get to the Meadowbrook Inn, that's when it's truly perfect. Y'all, it's uh, it's at the end of another year. I think better than 2020, but still intense and um, extremely off-putting. I hope that uh, you and yours find a lot of peace uh, now and in the coming months as we go into a new year with new chances, new people, new opportunities. Before we bring on our first guest, poet Alina Stefaniscu, I want to thank NPR and WTC, Autism Speaks, The Red Phone Booth, Lyndon Rowe Inn, Office Evolution of Roswell, Georgia, and Mostly Mutts for all their love and support. And with that behind us, let's hear Solo by Mobley. I know. Thank you. 
And now we have Alina Stepanescu, a writer in multiple genres, who's also a community activist in Alabama. Alina, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am fine and dandy like sour candy, man. Um, and all I want to know about is you. Tell us about uh, how you got started as a writer and what makes you, you. Uh, I got started as a writer the backwards way. I was home. I, I, I went to school initially for creative writing and then I left to study philosophy. Um, I decided I wanted something more rigorous and I don't know why I decided that philosophy was that. Um, and then at 35, I was at home with my kids and I just started, I'd always been writing, but my son got a poem published in Highlights Magazine. And he asked me why I didn't submit the stuff I wrote. And I said, um, well, I think he was seven. And I said, well, I just don't feel as calm. And he said, mom, you can't use me to live your dreams. Oh, man. So, yeah. <laughs> So that was yeah. it. She was like, what, what do you do when your seven-year-old calls you on that? And you yeah. just are sort of like, all right, it's time. It's time to start doing this. So I started submitting and got really, really lucky um, in many ways. When I read your work, um, your poetry especially, um, there's, a, there's a vulnerability and there's, a, uh, there's an effortlessness and uh, your, your desire to be honest. Um, there are many poets who hide behind cryptic phrases and, and, and loss of self, and you don't have those trappings. How do you stay so honest in your writing? I, I want to be honest. I, I'm, <clears throat> I think I have to understand. I come from a country that was Romania um, under Ceausescu, and then before that, when it was fascist, it has so many, there's so many silences and skeletons in closets there and there's so little speaking about them and the south is the same you know the two parts of me um, are both these spaces of warmth with huge silences and the part of me that never fit in <clears throat> to either category has always tried to find words for those silences in a way i, I think i want to be free from from, from them and from and to free others i think that's a sort of commitment and you keep changing you know you keep um you keep darkness is more interesting to me than the positive stories that we want to tell about ourselves in order to feel good right now you said that um how the, the country you left and that you defected here from romania right is that what you said yeah. uh tell us a little about that please so my parents um it was in the 19, see, my mom was actually three months pregnant with my sister. And they, um, at the time, Chosha School was starting, had already implemented the plan where abortions were illegal in Romania. And my mom was a physician and she was going to have to participate in the workplace checking of women for pregnancy and monitoring them. So birth control was illegal, condoms were illegal, and abortion was illegal. They were all crimes against the state. All babies belong to the state. And it's interesting because when they fled, they fled that. And it's interesting now living in Alabama and seeing some of the stuff going on in Texas. Yeah. It's just sort of really disturbing to see how, you know, a communist totalitarian and a the theocratic conservatives in the South have so much in common, you know, when, when right. it comes to women's bodies. So 
So they defected, they left me there. And then, you know, long story short, a year and a half later, they got asylum and they sent for me and I got to come and I had a little sister who was an anchor baby, who was our anchor baby. Right. And yeah. How much of this plays into your new work, the book that you have coming out now? Um, it's Dor is focused on this Romanian word for longing that is about wanting something. Romanians do this thing. They feel longing, but they don't ever believe you can get it. So you can't achieve the goal. It's just you kind of sit and long for something. And it's very different from the American resume-driven um, goal achievement success model. Here, you're just kind of longing to long. And it, right. you might talk to a friend on the phone and I'll be like, what are, what are you up to? She's like, oh, I was just feeling dor for. And then, oh, that's wonderful. So you sat there for an hour and just missed something or longed for it, you know? And, and, and that's okay in a way that in, I find when I, especially when I'm dealing with my kids, you know, dreaming is important. Longing is important. Not getting what you want is also important. I think we are part of, we dream bigger when we, are um, shooting for impossible things. And I don't know if we, um, I, I don't have that much of that in my American life. So I wanted to bring this word and sort of um, a lot of the poems move around it. They don't define it, but they move around it and kind of dance around it and dance with longing. So. All right, Alina, would you do us a favor and read us um, maybe a poem from your new book? Yes, um, I'm going to read a poem that was written when I was wandering through Transylvania a couple of years ago with my daughters and my children and my husband. And we went into a church, um, a big old Orthodox church. And the men, the, the, the church advertised that it had some relics, some saint relics. Huh. And so the kids were like, what does this mean? You know, oh, maybe it has bones. Maybe it has someone's dried up lip or I don't know, whatever. Right. So we'll go, we'll go see. And so it's called Sins of the Fathers. Okay. The saint's tears are stored in a vessel, a hollow vase resembling her body. That prayer I want to believe appears in Ababa's nearing mutterances. The problem is inflected. Its knees are not wounded enough. I have forsaken the sacrament of confession for the pew of the poem, where an inconstant angel of tinnitus rules my right ear, demanding an ocean. The babas are haloed by loneliness as their men wait sat outside the church, voices winding together like cigarette smoke, the laughter of outdoor incense. A baba tells a child, this is why her father's prayers go unanswered, because he never weeps for what he wants. The sin is not in the desiring, but in the refusal to beg for it. What has no statue and yet rules the world? The poem. The poem is my penance. The toddler is the daughter whose eyes reproach my failure to preserve her tears. But I kept your tiniest teeth in a silver box, I tell the furious God in her. I kept your hardness. So that's from Dor, which is a kind of strange, a strange poem. There were some, some strange moments when I was traveling through Romania with the kids, trying to explain these two 
alternative spiritual worlds that exist in the South versus in Romania. And this is called 1-800-MY-SOUTH. And it literally came about because my, um, my son and I were driving and we saw this huge billboard that said 1-800-MY-SOUTH. And it was, I think, owned by the Sons of Confederate Veterans and it said, you know, to call. So anyway, this is just... Now, this, this, is the, this is the brand new poem. This is the brand, brand new, not seen anywhere poem, right? This is right. This is just brand new. This is like driving through Alabama, 1-800-MY-SOUTH. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Romania to Alabama, please make this happen. Please leave. Okay. Call me, says the declarative red on the 30-foot billboard. My son reads it aloud, says, it must have cost the sons of the sons of Confederate veterans a ton of money to lay this hot take on a major road. My biggest regret, said my Romanian grandfather, was being a vet and getting laureled for the worst I had been. He said this in the state where heritage quilts are soft gauntlets laid over sleeping children. The kindred of the killing is the kind. Forgetting is a crime against the person we buried, my dad said. Violence is intimate as the child spanked for weeping preemptive as the gun hung over a threshold. Someone cherished you enough to whip you with love. It's scruffy paws on the carpet, the stench of its piss on the floor. I almost called to find out more. Now from, from Baba to the, the phone, uh, phone number on the billboard, there's a, there's a music, there's, there's, a, there's a melody. And, and there's there's a music that I've noticed, noted and poets are, are known to, to inject that into their work. But there are some I feel that are more natural at it than others. And you definitely, um, in my opinion, have that natural ability to make make even the horrible beautiful in music if that's how you need to get it across. And so that, that's what's led me to this question. And, and that's uh, how does music play into your creative process? Music plays a tremendous role in my creative process. Looking at Dor, for example, there are several fugues in there. And in Romanian, the word fugue is a word for fugue, but also it means to run, fuga. So fuga means to run or fugue. Well, my parents, when they defected, they left behind all their family. They were sort of persona non grata. They just left. They didn't tell anyone until the night before they were leaving. They didn't even tell their parents. Right. They had everyone for dinner and they said, we're running. We don't know if we'll make it. We don't know what will happen. We'll try to get Alina when we get there. Um, and, and so this fuga, this motion of a fugue and running to me are connected. And some of the poems have this sort of running motion in them. I've also been working on a sort of, uh, on a longer book that is called Sun with Teeth Marks. That's a Romanian phrase. Um, when the sun, they say sun, sun has teeth. And so this is Sun with Teeth Marks, but each of the, pieces or each of the poems is a sonnet that borrows a tempo marking from a classical um, piano piece. So you have pieces by Eric Satie. They're named after pieces by Eric Satie. So I basically listened to these albums or these, these symphonies or these sonatas and focused on a particular measure where I heard something almost like an ekphrasis mm-hmm. and then used that tempo marking as the title and wrote wrote that small, you know, usually a measure or two or, or, you know, longer. Yeah. So music is really huge for me. I mean, I love, I love dancing. I love, I'm, I'm one of those people, if 
if a room has music in it, I'm going to move to however it is. Like that's right. just my, you know, so, yeah. I got that. And you can feel that in your work. And to talk about your work, I mean, before we wrap this up, how do we find you online to get our hands on everything you've written? So my website is the easiest, the easiest way. Um, Alina Stefanescuwriter.com. You can find links to books. You can go to bookshop.org. Um, I think they have pretty much all of the books uh, available there too. And you can support your indie local indie bookseller that way. Um, and I'm teaching a class soon on music and poetry that I'm really excited about. Okay. Uh, so if anyone wants to learn a little bit about how you can bring music theory into poetry and how music theory speaks in poems that already exist, then yeah. That is amazing. And I want, and again, we'll have you back as these things mature and you have another book coming out that we can't talk about yet, but I know <laughs> it's coming out soon. And when that happens, I definitely want to have you back. Um, because Alina Stefanescu, you, you have been, uh, a, a jewel in this show and I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me read horrible things about 1-800 myself. And it's not horrible if it's accurate. It may be uncomfortable, but it's always good if it's honest, you know, you know, it was just wild. My son was like, I can't believe they have this billboard. Who's South? I think that's the question too, Clifford. Who's South is this? Right. This is our South too, you know? Right. I agree. not. You can't, you can't call this yourself. It's, we're not, you know, no, no. Exactly, exactly, no. exactly. And it's, it's, the, it's the, the hope and the light that we share on this show that I want to share with everybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right, Alina, you, you, you are the miracle. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean that. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, before we close up shop, let's hear Hotel Rosario from Angel Snow. Let me think you were 
And now on Dante's, we have CEO and founder of the Red Phone Booth, Stephen DeHaan. Stephen, how are you doing? Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me on today, Cliff. Man, it's awesome to have you on. I've, uh, I've met you several times, and uh, the honor has always been mine. You run a tight ship. You run a fun ship. Um, but to start at the beginning, um, you studied computer science in Georgia Tech, correct? <laughs> I did have a stint at Georgia Tech. Uh, originally, I actually started uh, with mechanical engineering uh, with a passion for cars and, and automobiles and such, and, and uh, quickly found out that that, uh, that wasn't going to be the case, and, and always had a knack for computer programming. Mm -hmm. So switched my major to computer science and really found out that I was not going to be able to, to sit in a cubicle all day programming. Um, I could not... Um, I, I would go stir crazy. I would, I would go mad. I have so much respect for the, the individuals that have that much focus and, and that much uh, ability and, and logic. But uh, I need to be out uh, conversing, talking to people, hearing their stories and, and uh, creating memories. And so um, I had to start paying my bills and uh, became a bartender, actually, to, uh, to start covering rent and quickly found out that uh, service and hospitality was really what I was called to do. Um, the idea of taking care of guests and creating memories and experiences, uh, it really drives me on a daily basis. Well, now we see where the, the start line was for you. Um, at one point, at one point in that process, uh, did you get the inspiration to create the red phone booth? So, Really, the inspiration is it's the red phone booth itself is almost an homage to my grandfather. Um, so here I am, um, not enrolled at Georgia Tech, bartending, paying my bills, and I got to visit my uh, my grandfather, who um, was a pharmacist during Prohibition, and uh, lived in the Midwest. And so you you know you think about pharmacists during Prohibition prescribing mis uh, whiskey for medicinal purposes. Think about <laughs> medical marijuana today, right? And so, you know, I, I show up at, at, uh, at his house and say, I'm, I'm a bartender. And he first he starts kind of just shaking his head. He's like, okay. And here, here my grandfather, Bill Bortz, WJ Bortz, uh, is a proper Tennessee squire. He has his one square inch of Jack Daniels and, uh, you know, was a Jack Daniels drinker through and through. And he says, okay, make me, a, make me a Jack and water. And my very first bartending job was at TGI Fridays. So... I make him the perfect corporate TGI Fridays Jack and Water. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be as precise as I can be. So I grab a, grab a glass and pour an ounce and a half of Jack, an ounce and a half of water, and pack it full of ice. And he's just shaking his head. What are you doing to my drink, son? Um, <laughs> so we're, we're standing in his kitchen, and he takes this cocktail from my hand and holds it up to the light and looking at how watered down this thing is. And for a fact, he takes a sip of it and spits it out on the kitchen floor. He goes, no, 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 this is not going to do. At that point, he basically grabs me by the ear and walks me down to his boathouse where he's got a a bar in his boathouse. And he pulls out a cocktail book written in the 1930s, literally called Here's How. And this book is a wood-covered book, leather binding. And it says, you know, in order to know where you're going, son, you need to know where you're from. So he starts talking about how ladies and gentlemen serve ladies and gentlemen, how to make a proper cocktail, you know, and of course the, the long and the short of it is a Jack and water is a lot of Jack and just one cube of ice and everything else works itself out. So that's how, <laughs> that's kind of actually the approach we take for our cocktails. All of our yeah. cocktails are two ounce, two ounce drinks and, uh, and kind of going back to that. Also, my grandfather was a avid cigar lover. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> you wouldn't really see this today, but he would pick me up in the 70s uh, in his Woody station wagon in, uh, in Minneapolis. And we'd start driving up towards that, that cabin up north in Minnesota. And he would be listening to Andrew's sisters on the 8-track. And he'd have his cigar going and having a good time. And all the windows are completely rolled up, you know, and I'm just turning green in the back. <laughs> so, you know, the... Uh, but really what it did is it kind of kind of beat into my skull that cigars and Andrew's sisters and Frank Sinatra and all these things and um, whiskey and taking care of friends. That's that's what really life is about. So the red phone booth really is an homage to my grandfather. And, and I thank him dearly for those memories and, and that education that he gave me. That's the that's a better story than anything I could have made up. That's the best story ever, man. I'm serious. I'm serious. But it, so, all right, you've got the idea. You have the inspiration. You have the drive. Um, what were some of the obst- obstacles you had to overcome to make the red phone booth a reality? Oh, God. Oh, every, it's been everything along the way. Um, you know, so I, I guess they probably do have a school for restaurant ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and entrepreneurship, uh, but I unfortunately missed that day in class uh, at Georgia Tech for computer science. <laughs> so, um, really, you know, it's it's a lot of trial and error. Um, so obstacles and, and and things. You know, first off, it's it's teaching myself accounting. Mm-hmm. You know, now all of a sudden, if, if I'm going to run a business, you actually have to understand what goes into that business and and how to control your costs and and not being so focused on your costs that that you're losing sight of what's important, which is the guest experience. Right. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, at somewhere along the path, you know, it really came down to understanding that, that, you know, I had this vision of what a guest experience should be and how do we communicate that to our team members so that they're really taking care of the guests as well. So we actually came up with a credo, which really kind of helps set the, the whole vision and path of it. So the credo is uh, our goal is to provide each guest with the most, most memorable experience, always looking for opportunities to exceed each guest's expectations while maintaining a sincere and gracious attitude. We do this for personal and professional fulfillment and to build a lasting relationship with our guests. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, really, as far as the obstacles and all that, getting everybody on the same page, everybody in our team and organization, they buy into that. They buy into creating these memories and these experiences. Um, and so, you know, people talk about the challenges of, of hiring today, you know, and, and hiring during COVID. Um, and we actually don't really, we've been blessed. It has not been a issue for us. And I mm -hmm. think that people are attracted to that corporate culture right. of wanting to be great. Um, other obstacles uh, along the way, you know, you know, at this point, I, I, I don't know if it's thermodynamics or, or mechanical engineering or what, but uh, understanding uh, proper air filtration. Yeah. Um, we, we are a, a smoking establishment, and but really, uh, probably 60% of our guests don't smoke. They come in for that prohibition experience. Mm -hmm. They come in to be, travel back in time and, and put their phones down and have a conversation. So though they're cigars are there and we are a cigar lounge it is part of it um it really has to disappear it has to uh, you know both metaphorically and, and physically but we have to get that smoke out of there so um you know iteration after iteration and trial on on air quality and air filtration and so at this point you know with our with our newest location shoot we either filter or turn over the air entirely in the space approximately every three minutes um so, so that is that is something that, that that we're very proud of um you know and other obstacles uh financing in the beginning right uh, certainly we're under under capitalized underfunded um you know uh and really there that was that was uh you know just a, a lot of hard work and and um, um trying to pay attention to every dollar and you know painting, painting the walls and painting the restrooms ourselves. My, you know, my wife came in and, and, you know, did half the painting herself just to, just to help out and, and get the place going. Um, and so this is, you know, once upon a time, but, um, but understanding that, uh, that this is a, a dream and a, and a passion and, and ultimately, you know, having the resilience to not hit a brick wall on anything. Uh, there's, there's never taking no for an answer. Um, you know, and never, never saying, okay, well, because, because someone else isn't busy, that that's acceptable for us not to be busy. No, it's not. We have to, we have to not measure ourselves by others, but measure ourselves by the best that we can do. So, yeah. Well, your hard work has paid off and brought in some real cool attention because you've got actor Michael Cutlets involved with all this, right? <laughs> we do. Um, tell me how that happened. Tell me how, tell me how that went down. So, uh, I'll give you I'll give you the the, the true honest story. I, I could give you the uh, um, the embellished one. I don't know if there is an embellished one, but um, <laughs> we'll make he, one up. Right. He used to come into our location called Prohibition, which was kind of the precursor to the Red Phone Booth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in uh, in Buckhead uh, when he was filming Walking Dead, and he was. Um, you know, somewhat of a staple, and they're a very nice gentleman. Uh, I met him once or twice in passing. Always tried to give him his space, but would always take um, take photos with fans and guests in there, and was you know never standoffish to anybody in the establishment. But you know, really just kind of came in to to have his own cigar and and uh, have his own cocktail. Um, fast forward to Red Phone Booth being open in downtown Atlanta. Now it's probably probably the year is 2017 and 
you know, some of my team members start saying, you know, um, Michael wants to uh, to sit down and, and meet with you to uh, talk about investing in a red phone booth. I'm like, okay. And so <laughs> I swear to God, I actually started avoiding the man. <laughs> um, which sounds absolutely terrible. But the, the reality is uh, that I, we weren't looking for additional capital. We weren't looking for investors. And, and I didn't want to say no to this gracious gentleman that had been supporting us for these years, that, that the staff had loved and our guests had loved and all that. And so one day he, he finally corners me and says, uh, you know, listen, just hear me out for a second. He said, you know, there's a couple of places that I always visit when uh, when I go to a city, you know, Steakhouse and Cigar Bar are some of the top two. And yours is the best cigar bar I've ever been to in the country. And I'm going to do this. And I know I'm not Tom Cruise, but I'm, I'm going to do this uh, with or without you. And I'd rather do it with my favorite. And uh, kind of at that point, he kind of had me at hello. <laughs> so <laughs> two, two jokes on Tom Cruise in one statement. Go on, go through it. And so, so, you know, that's when we really started talking about it and, uh, you know, that it, that he was serious and, and, you know, it's, it's been an amazing partnership and relationship. Uh, what I love about being partners with, uh, with Michael is his creativity and his eye. Um, you know, I, I can, uh, during design, you know, I'll send him a picture or he'll come walk through the space when he's in town uh, filming or, uh, or directing or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, ask his input on things and, um, and having that director's eye and being able to just focus on in on one area and make it the best it can be has been great. Uh, same with wordsmithing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having that creativity, I can, send him something that we're working on for the site or in the menu. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he's constantly providing great feedback. Um, so he is actively involved in, in shaping the, the ongoing red phone booth development, um, you know, moving forward, but not so much so on a, on a daily basis where he's in there running cocktails. Uh, the, the interesting thing is if I asked him to do it, I know a hundred percent he would, right. He, he, he is there for, uh, for the brand he's there for, for us. And, uh, he is there for the guest, uh, ultimately most importantly. And so, uh, it's, it's been, it's been great. It really has. <clears throat> well, to, to go from the individual more to the specifics of the red phone booth, yeah, the, 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 uh, the elegance is in the details. There, there's nothing, there's no I left undotted or T left uncrossed. You have a 47 page cocktail list, right? <laughs> Uh, how, how did, I mean, when you sat down to devise this, I mean, what, what thought process went into making these things happen? I mean, you mentioned the ventilation system already. Um, but like the, the ceilings and the, in the couches, uh, the 47 page whiskey menu or, or drink menu. Um, how did these things come to fruition in your mind? Oh, you know, I mean, bits and bits and pieces from, from just my life and my experiences. Um, you know, I remember with the couches, I remember um, actually meeting uh, the original um, uh, couch artisan. Actually, he was, a, uh, he was an individual. He wasn't a company. He wasn't anything other than just a craftsman. Meeting with him in a parking lot and sitting down in a prototype of the couch and having him measure different dimensions and saying, okay, well, let's, let's move 
let's increase the depth of the couch by two inches. Let's yeah. add additional lumbar support here. Um, let's raise the top of the couch up uh, a few inches. Um, and all that so that when you sit there and, and you're having these conversations and you're having these cocktails and these cigars and the food, that you really lose track of time, that you focus on the guests in front of you you focus on your company and, uh, and that all these things uh, really get pushed to the side. Um, same really goes for the ventilation. You know, that's all designed so that, that you can, you can lose sight of that, uh, of this, of the cigars and the smoke. Um, the, uh, the warmth of the space and the, uh, the backlit ceilings, you know, that's something that, that, that we're very, very proud of. Those are all, uh, hand, hand done. Uh, we've used a couple different artists over the years, uh, Denise Grieger, and then most recently Christian Wagner, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and Christian in, in his own right is, is, uh, a legend. So he. Uh, has done all the art for the red phone booth. Mm. Um, and uh, he is the top selling fine arts artist for Star Wars and Lucas Arts ever. Why? I know. Um, so, and that's a, that's a, once again a 19 year relationship. He's been coming in and, and uh, you know, got to see him evolve over his career and sat down and said, you know, hey, we, these are some pieces that we need. Uh, what do you think? And so, um, you know, he invested in us as much as we invested in him. And today, I'm very proud of going back to my homage to my grandfather. There's a portrait uh, in each of the locations of my grandparents taken from their engagement photo that, uh, that nice. Christian did. Um, so that, that's, that's a big part of it. But each of these elements, they all have to make sense. Uh, mm-hmm. They all have to go back towards that credo, exceeding guest expectations. Um, everywhere you should turn there should be a reason why, um, why it's there, you know, whether it be the fact that we bring in double reverse osmosis ice and ship out all of our ice cubes by hand. Uh, the reason, yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a pain in the butt to be, to be frank with you. Right. Uh, but the, um, but the reason is, is when you are drinking 25 year old scotch, you want to taste the scotch. You don't want to taste our freezer. Right. And so having this double reverse osmosis, ice which is the cleanest clearest ice that you possibly can get your scotch is going to shine through same with rare japanese whiskey or whatever it is um juicing freshes uh juice juicing daily you know mm-hmm. getting the freshest juice and you know lemon lime blood orange mandarin or you know uh, mango whatever it is um doing all these different things and and really it is that attention to detail um i have to say i was inspired by um uh, by a place called Angel Share in New York, as far as that attention to detail, hmm. it's a it's a speakeasy in, in Manhattan. I'm not sure if it's there anymore. This was back in probably 2008, and uh, I was sitting at the bar having uh, having a cocktail, and I watched the bartenders make a, a Pousse Cafe. Uh, Pousse Cafe is a seven layer sipping cordial. Some people could take it as a shot, but basically every layer is going to be a different flavor, a different color. Uh-huh. It is it is so difficult to prepare correctly. Uh, it takes a lot of skill, a lot of effort, and also knowledge about your products and the specific gravity of them all. So I was sitting in here, and there was a uh, a group of um, six over in the corner, and and so the bartender was making them a round of Pousse Cafes, uh-huh. um, and one of them was just not perfect. I mean, it was imperceptible to to almost anybody, but, but the bartender noticed it as he was doing it and stopped and threw it out and, and started back over. Mm-hmm. 
And to me, that is that attention to detail. That's something that we actually talk about during our training and being great to it. Um, Stop stirring a, a stirring a drink thirty eight times because at that point we know we've gotten we've reached the right dilution of ice and uh, created the right temperature, um, you know, and and just all of these all these different things it, those are what end up making it great. Um, you know, it's interesting with these cocktails being historic cocktails. All the recipes are available online. Um, really, you know, there's we're not changing the recipes. We are true to the recipe. But what the difference is is that attention detail. And that's why it's going to taste different and better than than when you make it at home with your ice from your freezer or or not getting the right dilution or whatever it might be. Um, and so that's that's kind of what we hang our hat on is is that we're going to take each of these pieces and, and try and be great at it. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really proud with with how the team embraces that and they do it on a daily basis. Right on, man. And now there's not only there's not just one location. You have several. Tell us about where you're located. Okay, so we started 2016 uh, in downtown Atlanta, mm -hmm. in the uh, historic Daly's building. It was a uh, uh, originally a warehouse built in 1911. So um, it was a warehouse for the first 70 years of its life, then a restaurant, and then saying sat vacant there for about six years from the recession. Right. Opened there in 2016. Uh, then uh, decided we wanted to expand and went uh, north to Nashville. Mm -hmm. So we are uh, just off of Broadway on Rosa Parks Boulevard, which is basically 8th Avenue, uh, right next to the Renaissance Hotel and, and have a 5,200 square foot property there, mm -hmm. uh, freestanding. And then uh, had the entire time had been focused on also getting uh, back into Buckhead where I kind of got my start here in Atlanta. So we most recently opened a location in Buckhead at 3242 Peachtree Road, which is basically right on the corner of Piedmont and Peachtree, uh, right behind the rooms to go. Right. And uh, that location is off to a phenomenal start. Um, we presently have a, another corporate location in the works for the Colony, Texas. Uh, right. The Colony is just north of Dallas. And that is in going into a development called Grandscape. That is Warren Buffett's 450-acre multi-billion-dollar development. Uh, so nice. They they came out and similar to Cudlitz mm -hmm. <laughs> said, "Hey, we're looking for uh, for uh, one of uh, a great speakeasy. What do you think about joining us?" So uh, we said, "Well, if you build it, we will come." And and uh, we're in the process of just doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that will open in uh, the first half of 2022. Uh, mm -hmm. That'll be an, another 6,000 square foot spot. Cool. And then uh, during COVID, I really kind of focused on two things. One was first understanding the best ways to take care of the safety uh, of our guests and staff and team members and, and adding things like the uh, needlepoint bipolar ionization to our air filtration. Uh, we're already uh, five steps ahead with having the fresh air systems in, this, in the location. So mm -hmm. all of those. But also worked on uh, developing the red phone booth for uh, for franchise expansion. Um, not a big fan of that word, but but, but that's really the truth of it. Um, and with that, uh, signed our first franchisee uh, the beginning of this year, and they have their first property under um, uh, under lease, uh, and that'll be coming to uh, Brickle, the heart of Brickle in, in downtown Miami. At 1010 Brickle, and that'll be opening um, right around uh, summer of 2022. 
Um, and then, uh, so excited about that. Uh, we've got a couple other uh, areas that we're looking at, and we have a number of other franchise prospective franchisees that we're speaking with, and and uh, hope to be growing over basically through uh, what I'll call NFL cities. You know, basically uh, uh, larger cities in the U.S. and and uh, you know t- uh, that would typically have be large enough to house an NFL team. So uh, yeah, we're 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 growing. <laughs> Right on. Well, Stephen DeHaan, CEO and founder of the Red Phone Booth, it was an absolute honor to have you on the show, man. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate your support. It's always wonderful to see you in the location, and I look forward to sharing a sharing a whiskey with you and a cigar in the near future. Very near future, like this afternoon. But hey, we'll put a pin in that and find out later. I'm serious, Stephen. <laughs> this, this has been an absolute honor. And uh, as things uh, progress and as these new um, locations open, we'll have you back on to talk about it. How about that? Sounds great. Look forward to it. All right. Now, before we wrap this bad puppy up, let's hear Is It Me by St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Gone's how they smoke behind dogwood trees. All the bars closed. is nearly behind us i pray that you and yours are thriving if you're looking for a great last minute holiday gift for your friends or family contact me for signed copies of my books now they're sold everywhere books are available but if you want them signed the easiest way to get them from me is to go to my website www.cliffbrooks.com let me give another big heartfelt shout out to the meadowbrook end 
it now stands as one of my new favorite home away from homes. It's a fantastic spot to stop in any season. I thank them for their generosity and kindness as much as I do our guests today, Lyndon Rowe in Mostly Mutts, The Red Phone Booth, Autism Speaks, Office Evolution of Roswell, Georgia, and last but certainly not least, WUTC and NPR. This has been Dante's Old South. I'm your host, Clifford Brooks. Please remember to be kind. And as we leave, here's a nightcap. One of my poems called Hideaway Highway Love Songs. Hideaway Highway Love Songs. Half notes scored whole. Sugar let's ride divine. Defiant, not reliant on the mystic Dixie. Joan Baez gently drives us down to Nashville, Asheville, and New Orleans. Towns, expanses of hums. Towns made of sound. Shady family and pierced strangers at low tide. You, my special Joni Mitchell, the South is our river to skate away on. Miles behind us and miles within us, the past wears out. A highway of wuthering heights, no life by lies or lust or gun, not haunted or hunted or hounded by a harsh sun. You slip into French, hyacinth in your hair. Our honky-tonk lexicon speaks of us expelled, compelled to coo in high grass by the creek, obscured beneath the tops of broad trees. We shimmy from our delta-wide duvet to dance, kiss, and caress. You know we match my bare feet and your summer dress. <laughs>